You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. paraphrase of Genesis 15 to 21. Years passed and things didn't get any better. People were still just as cruel and mean to one another, but God was getting ready to do something about it. Abraham, God said, how many stars are there? Let me see, Abraham said, rolling up his sleeves. He kept losing count. Too many, he said. Guess what, God laughed. I will give you so many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, you won't be able to count them either. Abraham couldn't help giggling at such a wonderful idea. He didn't have any children, let alone grandchildren. He wiped away a tear. It was far too late for him to start having babies at his age. He was 99 years old. What could God mean? Abraham, God said, believe me. You will be my special family, my people. And through you, everyone on earth will be blessed. It was an incredible promise. (laughs) God was going to rescue the world through Abraham's family. This is a story of the Lord. Good morning. All right. so funny. I, I did grow up kind of interestingly. My, my mom was Pentecostal. My dad was Catholic. So when I told my dad I was, <laughs> I was preaching on Palm Sunday, he goes, they're giving you Palm Sunday? <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think he was equal parts impressed and horrified. <laughs> but um, I'm so excited. I love Holy Week. Love Holy Week. Uh, So we are talking today about the coming king. Um, And if you've been tracking with us over the last six weeks or so, we've been in a series called Contending with Death, um, where we began in the garden, where we had a perfect union with God the Father, but sin quickly entered. And those choices had some pretty heavy consequences. And God basically says to Adam, as Patrick kind of talked to us a little bit last week about that, he's like, you've broken our relationship. This is no longer your home. You have to leave. And so we're left with a post-sin world where evil is lurking. And humanity seems ever at odds with creation, with one another, and with God. Yeah, I know that's a heavy, that's a heavy start, but it's okay, I got you. It gets better because almost immediately God has a plan to bring us back to the garden. His ultimate plan to fulfill this Abrahamic covenant that we've been talking about, he, he plans to fulfill it once and for all through Jesus, the coming king. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Um, so I just want to pray for us before we start. Jesus, we love you so much. And it's sometimes weird to think of you, this mighty king who's come to save us and die for our sins, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. So humble, so gentle. But I believe with all my heart that today what you have for us is you want us to see you as that humble and gentle and tender, loving God. 
And so would you open our hearts today to receive what you have for us? Thank you, Spirit. We invite you to do with our hearts what you will. We are yours. We surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start, uh, it is Palm Sunday, right? I don't know if you have um, memories, if you grew up in church or children's church or have memories of Palm Sunday, um, but I, I remember like being handed a little branch and everyone shouting, I like, remember all, you know, like the kids were over here, we were just shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? And it was almost like a pregame to Easter, it was like a tailgate to Easter, <laughs> we're getting ourselves psyched, psyched for it, um, but we were kind of looking ahead to this Sunday, but we want to pause today and really think about um, the significance of this triumphal entry of the coming king, because the king that was coming was not one that was expected. So I'm going to read to you today from Matthew 21. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn to Matthew 21. We'll start in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth, I was always saying Beth Page. I don't think that's, I think that's a hospital. Um, uh, Bethphage, I think, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord has need of them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the, in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So let's back up for a second. I want you to imagine that you are one of Jesus' disciples. And he's basically just said, hey, okay, you're going to go ahead of me to the next village. Um, you're going to find a donkey and a colt, and you're going to steal them. And when you get caught... <laughs> You're going to tell them the Lord has need of it, right? Uh, and don't worry, though. They'll send you on your way. It's a little bit weird, right? But you've seen some stuff. You've seen people walk on water. You've seen some demons being cast out and tons of miracles. So you're like, okay. And so you do it. And lo and behold, it happens exactly as Jesus said. You find the donkey in her colt, and as you steal them, um, probably the owner is shouting, what are you doing? The Lord has need of them. Oh, okay, then be on your way. <laughs> like, let's not, let's not gloss over that. That's kind of cool. Um, and uh, they're on their way. Now, I would camp out here for a while with this cult because it does fulfill some pretty cool prophecies from earlier in the Jewish scriptures. But what I think is most important is where he was going on this donkey, where he is heading. What's really exciting is that they are nearing the city of Jerusalem. Now, at this point, though, Jesus has kind of been on what I was thinking of, like, the singer-songwriter circuit. Like, he's been traveling along small villages around Galilee. Um, not really uh, the kind of tour you would be taking if you were ready to make a name for yourself. 
Um, in fact, if you remember, there are moments where Jesus even tells his mother, hey, um, my time has not come yet. I, no, 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 no. Or, hey, I've done this for you, but don't go tell anyone yet. Isn't that interesting? So for a while, he's kind of been, been under the radar until now. Now he's, headed, now he's headed to the big city. Now he is headed to Jerusalem. Now to the Jew, Jerusalem was everything. Psalm 48 says it is actually the city of kings. Psalm 48 says, if we have it, great is the Lord and the most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. He has shown himself, sorry, let me back up. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the king joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded and fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like the ships of Tarshish, Tarshish shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Jerusalem is the city of kings. It's where the temple of God resides. It's where the spirit dwells. It's everything. And that is where Jesus is headed on this donkey. That's pretty cool. Here he comes, the Messiah who is ready to save Israel. Now, I'm used to paper and pencil. This iPad is very fancy for me. Just going to switch this a little bit. Um, so here, here he is. Like He's making his way to the city. So I just want you to imagine for a second what his followers must be thinking. Is it time? Is this it? Because Jesus has started saying things like, the time is near. And everyone's getting excited because for centuries, for centuries, they've been longing for a Messiah to come and save them, to bring them the glory of the time of David and Solomon and Joshua, to, to restore Israel to its former glory. They are waiting. They are longing for this. And it's, and it's coming. He says the kingdom is near. Has the time come? And if it's come, it means one thing, and that's that the Jews are about to be rescued. They are about to be saved, but not in the way that they thought. This would be an unexpected king bringing an unexpected kingdom. Now, to understand the ministry of Jesus, I think it's important to understand a little historical context um, and the events that have shaped their memory, their culture, and the expectations of of God's people at the time, because we can be quick to insert like our own like worldview or our own understanding into the text, but let's take a second and just think about their history. Um, because like imagine trying to understand the history of the United States really without understanding uh, the Civil War, right? Understanding sort of the systemic things that have happened, the oppression that's happened. It would be really hard to truly have a picture of the country or even take New York pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. I have friends back home in South Carolina that like didn't quite understand how we were, we, how you felt or how, how I felt when I sat down inside a restaurant for the first time. Or 
why I'm still a little scared to go here or there without a mask because they didn't hear the sirens 24-7 for months on end. So context matters here, right? So it's knowing these things that will help, you, help us understand the psyche, the hopes, and the fears of the people of Israel at this time. Um, and it's, mo- it's important also because we need to understand that's why Jesus preaches the way he does and why it catches on so quickly. Because history, in the most part, can be summarized from the rise and the fall of empires, and it's no different for the people of Israel. Their story has been interwoven by the rise and the fall of empires. So for centuries at this point, they have been under oppression and rule of almost every nation under the sun. They've been crying out to God to send their promised Messiah to rescue them once and for all. Like I said before, they were like crying, bring back the glory of David. And they were in especially great need at this point, this point where Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. Because no one had quite seen an empire like the Roman Empire. It was a combination of cultural and political power. And people were asking, how has it gotten this bad? God, why have you let it get this bad? And so as we do when things are hard and we are desperate, when we are contending with brokenness and death, we sometimes create our own coping mechanisms, our own ways of dealing with it, with understanding it, with understanding, like, how to live. So... You had the Pharisees who responded in holiness, which made it, they were making it basically impossible for anyone to follow Jesus. Um, gosh, just thinking about like financially, it took so much just to even enter into the temple courts. You had the Sadducees who were like, all right, well, it's the Romans' world. We're just living in it. So they kind of had some compromise going on and just going to be okay with living as things are. And then you have the zealots. And the zealots were all about a mighty, violent political overthrow. Like, come and save us. Come and smash the heads of our enemies. And all of those approaches um, that people had taken were, were like a response to a president of a foreign kingdom in their midst. And all they wanted was for a king to come and to save them, to arise and bring the promised kingdom of God. Now, if you were a Jew at this time, that phrase, kingdom of God, you would have known it. You'd have grown up knowing this phrase. It would be a phrase you were very familiar with. It was an expression embodied in the hopes of the Jewish people that one day God would remove all evil from the world, right, and usher in a new age. And it was coming. It was time, but it was a little different than they thought. So one commenter said, Jesus would spend so much time telling people what the kingdom of God was like, suggests that his view of the kingdom was so different and unfamiliar that he'd had to disciple them into a new understanding, a new understanding of what God is actually doing. So he uses stories and he uses parables and he says things like, if you want to be my follower, you have to take up my cross. You have to take up your cross and follow me. They're like, excuse me, what cross? Or he tells stories about a mustard seed. The kingdom's like a mustard seed. He says that the kingdom of God is more inclusive than you could ever imagine. The Pharisees love that one. And he talks about God in a whole new way. God is a loving father. 
He's a good father. He brings teaching on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person. He can live in us. He talks about mission, that God's reclaiming that Genesis 12 promise, that covenant that, um, that his people were to exist to bless the nations. He's like, it's here. But it, he, he talked about it so differently. And then he demonstrated it by doing it in the world. He healed people. He showed his power over darkness by casting out demons. He showed his power over death in, in the created realm by raising people from the dead. And they loved it. But then everything kind of started to change. Because when you say things like, you know, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Um, they would, have, they would have known, like you say cross and people under the Roman um, oppression would know. This is how Romans humiliated their prisoners. This is how Romans would, would crucify um, their enemies. So dying on the cross, that wasn't new, a new thing with Jesus. That was, that was a method of torture that the Romans had. So when Jesus said, you have to take up your cross and follow me, that was a little, that was a little different. He expanded the boundaries of who gets to be in the kingdom. And he's at odds with almost every political approach at the time. He doesn't come in power and violence. He's completely nonviolent, which really disappointed the zealots who were hoping for a mighty takeover. Because think about how he's going into Jerusalem. He's on a donkey. And to make the contrast even more stark, there was actually another procession going on. And I love this story. I had to go back many, many, many journals ago and try to find some notes because I remember this blew my mind. We borrow the term triumphal entry. See, the Romans who were in control at the time, they would often do this. It was like a ceremonial, um, like religious rite uh, a passage that the Romans would do to kind of flaunt their power um, over the people who they were oppressing, um, where they would celebrate and remind people, um, oh, oh we, we're the ones in charge. So some scholars believe that actually about the same time that Jesus was on a donkey headed from the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem, that roughly at the same time, in anticipation of Passover, Pilate leading, was leading his military procession from his base in Caesarea, which is like this. So just imagine like a beautiful, um, uh, I don't know, not even bed and breakfast, like a beautiful vacation home on the sea. So he would leave that. He would come in all the pomp and military might and all the power of Rome on display because their mission was to reinforce the rule in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Like they wanted to make clear they were in charge. And then at the opposite end, you have Jesus coming from the Mount of Olives with his followers, riding on a donkey, his feet. And, and by the way, if you think about a colt, that's even smaller. So probably as, G, as Pilate was on his war horse, maybe a stallion, you had Jesus riding on a donkey, probably having his, his feet, um, you know, graze the dirt in the dust as he rode. One procession was Pilate's with a triumphal entry, and then the other's was Jesus, and it was somewhat different. But it fulfilled what Zechariah had said, that a king would be coming to Jerusalem from Zion, from the Mount of Olives, humble and riding on a colt. And that's Palm Sunday. You know, Miriam kind of 
talked about this earlier. She said, you know, she was talking about what the word Hosanna means. I think as a kid, when we were handed those branches and we were shouting Hosanna, we thought it meant hallelujah. It doesn't mean hallelujah. It actually means save me, help us, rescue us. That is what Hosanna means. That's what Hosanna means. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, rescue us. And that is what he's coming to do. That's what Palm Sunday is really about. It's about liberation. It's about people in a world that have been in bondage and they cannot get out. It's about people stuck contending with death on their own, trying to white-knuckle it, trying to make up their own like coping strategies to deal with the power of oppression in their life. Palm Sunday is about liberation and a great liberator who is coming to free us. And come to, coming to heal us and to contend with death once and for all. Amen. It just looks a little different, I think. And as I was, you know, planning for this, and shoot, probably for the last six months, I've been, I've been crying out, Hosanna, come. But in my mind, I've been thinking, Hosanna, come on your stallion with power and might to crush the head of my enemies. Just deal with it once and for all. When actually, that's not, what, that's not the picture of liberation that Jesus brought that day. It's just not. He, w- he has power and all authority in heaven and on earth. Let me be clear, that is true. But the picture he gave us on Palm Sunday is of a rescuer who looks very different. A liberator who looks very different. <laughs> Because I think the problem that, that I, and I think that maybe that we have is that we, we, we know we need liberation, but I think that we think we know how best to be rescued. But the true rescue, the true freedom, I think, will come in surrender. You know, Israel... And they, they had every right to believe this. All the scriptures they'd read in temple growing up was about a coming Messiah with, that would come in might and power. So it, it, you can't blame them for wanting that kind of hero, right? But Jesus just had like a different way, a different approach, and it was about surrender and love. Because Jesus started talking. At some point, it makes you wonder how his disciples and his followers were feeling because at some point he starts talking in ways like, like he was going to die and then be raised up. And like, die? No, 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 that's not, no, 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 that's not, that's not where we need to go here. He starts talking about loving your enemies, and then you watch him surrender himself to his enemies, not to get too far ahead of ourselves in Holy Week here, but his language begins to shift. He begins to surrender and to submit. Palm Sunday is a triumphal entry. It just didn't look like people expected. He came, and he was announcing a new kingdom. And he planned on setting everything right. He stormed the gates. He did, but he did it far differently than anyone thought he would. He did the opposite of what people thought he would do. He gave himself up to his enemies in the most stunning display of humility and sacrificial love anyone had ever seen. 
He submitted his will to the Father out of love for us, and he died for people who didn't deserve it. And in that way, in that way, I think Jesus' kingdom really contradicts our own. It definitely contradicted the people at that time. Because my default, like I said, was I want to assert power and at least the illusion of control to beg God to sweep in and take care of the mess. But the most liberating thing I think we can do is to get to a place where we realize that, one, we have no control. Two, that we need a liberator to come into our life, not to accomplish our own agenda and to make things right according to our plans, but to his. I just, yeah, this week is, I love Holy Week, but also, I don't know if you like strength finders, but my number one is empathy. So I basically cry the whole Holy Week, because I'm just like, how did they do that to such a sweet man? And then I think, how did he love us so much? You know he knew what was going to happen when he was on that donkey. You knew that when they were shouting, Hosanna, rescue us, he knew he was going to. With so much love. He submitted his will to the fathers because that was better, that was greater. Palm Sunday is about a good king who loves us dearly. You are dearly, dearly, dearly loved. The beauty of the gospel is that the humility and kindness of God, that is what saves us. That is what leads us to repentance. That is what restores us. And, you know, the, sometimes I think, yeah, we know the kindness of God leads us to repentance, but we often forget that in order to let that happen, like God has to come and poke around in our hearts a little bit. Um, he wants to poke around in our mess, but it's always a good thing because he can't stay away from our brokenness. He can't stay away from that mess. It is in his very nature to restore. It just might look differently than we think. So as we enter some ministry time today, I, wanna, I want to ask you to let God poke around a little bit. And I'm talking to myself too, because like I said before, I, and I think probably many of us could say this, that like we really want God to come in power when he's like, wait, I need you to know you're chosen and beloved first. The power's coming. Like he's got power. In fact, if you read in Matthew 22, the very next chapter after the triumphal, triumphal entry, do you know what he's doing? He's knocking over the tables. Yeah, right? That's coming. That's coming, but first, first, the priority is his gentleness, his humility, and his love. So I want you to invite God to just poke and prod around your heart today. I promise it'll be kind because Jesus is, Jesus is only good and kind. I think Jesus wants you to know that the way through whatever you're going through right now isn't more power and control. It is submission and surrender. So, and I know we're going to land a little early, but I just really do believe with all my heart, God wants to do some serious business with some of us today. So my question to you is, what, what do you need to surrender? Is it a broken relationship? 
Is it unmet longings and disappointment or prayers that have gone unanswered for far too long? Is it a new diagnosis or the daily strife of a job you are barely tolerating? What is it? I think he wants to meet you in love. And I hope I'm not spoiling anything for any of you today, but um, death is beaten, right? Death is beaten once and for all. He, Jesus it has contended with it. It is finished. But true freedom comes in surrender first. And so I want you to let him love you in that surrender today. Because if you're like me, I think some of you are desperate for the might and power of a powerful king. Like we want Jesus to come in power, but I, I just feel like he wants to meet us first in love. And I don't know if this is theologically sound or not, but I couldn't get past the fact. I'm going to but the truth is, I can't get past the fact there's a donkey and a colt. Like, was he... He's not riding on both. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I was trying to envision what that looked like. <laughs> Why did he need two? And just in my imagination, I just felt like he said, well, one is for you. One is for you. Like, take, take the path with me. Come. Come along. Let me come alongside. Better yet, let me come alongside you. And so... Yeah, we're going to close and we're going to have a time of ministry. The band, you guys can come up. Um, and I'm going to say a prayer. And then, you know, we've been praying specifically this week just that God would speak to us today on this, this launch of this Holy Week. And so Beck's going to come up in a minute and, and um, lead you in a time of ministry. But I would, love, I would love to pray for us before that happens. Jesus, I can't get over the words this week that you're so sweet. You're so sweet. And there was nothing that you did by accident. Absolutely nothing. You came humble, mounted on a, don on a donkey. You were right. You knew you were riding to your death. You knew that when you went to Jerusalem, things would unfold. And you did it out of love for us. And I can't get over the fact that that's the picture you want us to have of you. That's the picture you want us to have of God, that you are kind. You have come to save us. You have come to rescue us. But you want us to know that we are loved by a good, good king a gentle king. So we open our hearts to you today. We invite you to walk around in our mess, to poke and to prod in the gentle way that only you can do. We want to surrender the kingdom that we have imagined in our own mind to say, no, your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to us as we, as we take a step to the front. And I, you know, Patrick says these, these carpets aren't um, magical in any way, but it's just a way to do with our bodies what our hearts are, are longing for, what our hearts are feeling. 
And this morning when we were praying together as a group, I, I was reminded about how long I've prayed that chains would fall at the lifting of holy hands. But to, today, I believe that God wants to break some chains with the kneeling and with the surrendering. And to just, just by saying, God, here you go. Yeah. Yeah, so the ministry team, you can come on up. And um, I encourage you, if you need to be loved by a good king, if you need to surrender the things that you have just been white-knuckling on your own for the last few weeks or months or years, God says, come to me. I'm gentle. I'm good. I love you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me.